not necessarily one that dives super deep into like hardcore American patriotism. If you know what I mean? Like, you know, bald eagles everywhere. Great, you know, I, American flags all over the place. But there, if there's one thing that really brings it out of me better than anything else, it's U.S. soccer. And I don't know why. I really don't. I, I mean, I'm a, I, I wouldn't say I'm an avid watcher of soccer. I'm pretty familiar with kind of the, the world leagues and stuff like that, the different clubs and the, and the different leagues around the world. But I'm not necessarily an avid watcher of it. Like, you know, I'll watch a Premier League game here and then just because it's on at like 9 a.m. in the morning on Saturday or Sunday or something like that. I'll throw that on when I'm getting up in the morning and then obviously switch immediately over to American football when that starts. But, oh, my God, if I did not, I mean, like I said, I'm not a huge proponent of, like, a huge proponent of American patriotism, like, hardcore American patriotism, you know what I mean? But if I didn't want to throw the American American flag over my back and run around the streets when when, uh, Timothy Weah scored that first goal against Wales on Monday... Oh man, I was I was pumped. I was doing fist pumps at the office. I was doing my absolute best not to, you know, get let out a let's go at the top of my at the top of my lungs because I was I was pumped. I was like, okay, they're here. They've arrived. They've done it. They they shook off the rust. Here they are. Let's go. It's time. We're gonna surprise everybody. We're gonna beat anybody we want. And then, you know, the second half. I mean, <laughs> it was a, it was truly a tale of two halves for. The American team in that first game. I was very uh, disappointed with how they came out in the second half. They were up one nothing going into halftime. They controlled a majority of the first half uh, with possession. I mean, the attacking play was very nice for the American team. Looks like they were kind of getting a lot of the opening spots that they wanted to be in for those attacking plays. But then Timothy Weah scores a goal. And I don't know, they just kind of go back to the American play that I think nobody really wants to see. They were holding possession for... A long time. I think they out they they led Wales in possession like by fifty nine percent or something ridiculous like that, or out possessed the ball against Wales by like fifty nine percent or something like that. It was like fifty nine percent to forty one percent on the possession markers, and that is absurd. Fifty nine percent possession with one single shot on target, six shots total, is disgusting. Disgusting. Fifty nine percent possession. To the way to Wales' 41% possession. Uh Wales had seven shots, three on target. And the one the, the goal that they had to make it a draw, a one-one draw, wasn't even a shot. I mean, uh it was a it was a foul in the area that led to a penalty, and Gareth Bale slotted home the penalty, and they ended up drawing with the United States one to one. So even one of the the shots on goal didn't end up being a goal that counted. But the one shot on goal that the United States had the entire game, even though they dominated in possession, Wales doesn't want the ball. We weren't giving them the ball, but we also weren't attacking with the ball whatsoever, especially in the second half. In the second half, it was kind of a joke, to be honest with you. And now we have four players on yellow cards going into the game against England. I don't know. I'm very nervous against this game against England coming up on Friday. But, I mean, at this point, it's like, you know, as the days go on, I'm like, okay, we're going to, we can beat anybody, you know, even though there's no frame of reference, there's no, it is, it is completely irrational confidence to think that we can beat anybody. And, um, as the days go on, as we approach Friday, I think the day after Thanksgiving, the most American holiday, Thanksgiving, if we beat England on black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, we might as well move Thanksgiving to 
Friday the 26th or whatever it is, the third Friday instead of the third Thursday, if we find a way the United States soccer team to beat England at their own game, their own nationally loved game, and beat them and a much more favored team in England. England's probably one of the top five teams in the entire tournament, whereas the United States is like scratching top 20, I would say, at the at the very best. Um, if we find a way to beat them on Black Friday, oh my God, I'm going to... I'm going to celebrate like I've never never celebrated any other sporting event, and I have favorite teams. I'm going to celebrate that more than I celebrate any other thing that I have celebrated in my life, other than maybe like a Red Sox World Series championship or something like that. But even then, it's so the thing the thing about World Cup soccer that is different for me, and I think for a, different for a lot of people that watch it in the United States, is in team sports. In, in American team sports, we are almost, we as a country, are almost never pure underdogs, right? Basketball, it's kind of a joke. If uh, football, American football, had some sort of international competition, the United States would dominate that. The only one I'll hear you on is hockey, sure, but they're usually in the mix for hockey, you know, a top five team, give or take, in hockey as well. Baseball is also arguably a top five team year in and year out. They don't necessarily have as good of a world a uh, an international tournament other like the World Cup but they have you know they have the World Baseball Classic which will also be coming up soon but I don't think it's as you know nationally um or internationally I guess respected as something as the World Cup is so we're still a top 5 team regardless in baseball as well but soccer for the United States especially on the men's side the women have more or less dominated it's really the only sport the only team sport that we have in America where the women have thoroughly, thoroughly outclassed the men in their respective sport. The men, the women have been way better uh, as a as a national team, the, as the American national team have been way better over the past twenty years than the men's national team. And it's kind of the last, you know, the one the last team sport that the United States has where they're really a true underdog. There's really nothing else that the United States, in terms of team sports, they're a true underdog in essentially almost every game they're going to play in. United States, they're going to be underdogs. Uh, if not underdogs in that game against Wales, I don't know if they were underdogs. They were probably pretty close. I mean, I think the the pick for a draw was probably the favorite to pick in that game. They're going to be underdogs in, in the game against England. Essentially, every game that they play, if they make the knockout round, they're probably going to be underdogs in just because a lot of the other groups are a lot stronger than the one that the U.S. is in. Um, as long as, like, you know, Saudi Arabia, which we'll get to in a second, if they if they advance, then the U.S. will be favored in that game, obviously. But there aren't many games that the U.S. will play in as a soccer team where they'll be favored completely outright, whereas in basically every other sport, every other team sport that we're popular with in America, they will be favored in, you know, they're favored in basically every game that they play in. I mean, it's kind of a walk in the park. We go to the Olympics or whatever for basketball, and it's basically a clean sweep, no problem for the uh, the basketball teams that go to the Olympics, the U.S. team that goes to the Olympics. If we had some sort of American football com uh, competition, international competition, it would probably be even more dominant. I mean, almost certainly more dominant if there was some sort of American football co international competition. Baseball, uh, they always have a solid team in that. Hockey, they usually more often than not have a solid team in that. Um, of course, they have international players that come into the NHL, but the NHL is the premier uh, the premier hockey league regardless. So, And the, the, the U.S. also, speaking of that, the U.S. also doesn't really have the premier league, no pun intended, 
for soccer. They have the MLS, which is, you know, it's a growing commodity in terms of the soccer world, but it's largely been looked at as the retirement league, if you will. Now, granted, uh, that's kind of changed a little bit over the years. We've seen more, more and more international players come to the United States to play in the MLS and be surprised by how competitive uh, that league actually is. But I think in terms of, you know, the broader spectrum of club club uh, club soccer the premier league is obviously better a lot of the european leagues are a lot better in terms of stacked with talent and it's just we don't have necessarily the best club league to compete in in the united states so it's different it's a completely different you know we've got guys that do compete in the mls in the uh on the world cup team as well and it's just you know from a talent level other than Pulisic, I'll give you. I mean, Weston McKinney's pretty solid. Uh, pretty solid. Serginho Dest as well is pretty solid. Uh, Christian Pulisic is by far the most talented player on this team. But I think from a pure talent perspective, other than those guys, they're almost always going to be the underdogs in every single matchup they come up against in this World Cup. Which is why, in my opinion, what makes it so much fun to watch because we are so it is sparse for America for United States team sports teams to be drastic underdogs in every matchup that they come up against that it's all it's it's rare to see it and it makes it more fun to actually get that true feeling of being an underdog going into a competition there were things that were going on at that game in whale uh, against wales on monday that were like giving me goosebumps to be honest they did the usa chant uh in the stands with the drums and stuff that gave me goosebumps with the fans chanting and stuff it was so cool um it's just you know they're not the the team that everybody sees uh, you know, in the U.S. is usually the team that everybody sees in basically every other team sport in the world, including women's soccer. So being able to see an American men's sports team as the bi- the, the biggest underdog of any of the other American uh, international sports teams and seeing the fans of the American team kind of be able to go to Qatar and support their team, give a great chant, a chant way better than I believe that we will win. Way better. I'm glad that we have changed that chant and chant and gone a little bit better with the chant. Um, being able to say that was goosebumps worthy, even though we drew. Uh, I think it was a you know a, a fair con. I think both halves were. It was a tale of two halves, if you will, if you will. Uh, the Americans dominated in the first half, while Wales dominated in the second half. It was very much you know worthy of a draw, and we'll see what happens against England. I'm I'm very excited. I'm getting more pumped up than I probably should because I'm going to get. More than likely, the odds would say I'm more than likely going to get disappointed when we take on England. But man, can you imagine just the the pure hysteria that would come if the United States was able to beat England at their own game, at their own beloved game in the World Cup, and you know significantly significantly in- increase their chances to move on to the knockout stages? That would just be be perfect. It would be so perfect. I can't. I want to see it so bad. I I really do. One day, one day, I mean, we're better than we, the U.S. team is better than they have been in the last 10 years, I would say. And hopefully, I mean, they're super young. They're, they're, are, I think they're one of the youngest, if not the youngest team at the at the World Cup. So they're hopefully, knock on wood, only going to get better from here. Uh, and maybe at some point we can be able to compete with the Englands of the world or whatever, the Denmarks of the world, the Germanys of the world, if you will. Uh, at some point down the line, but you know that is still feels like kind of far away, especially after the game we just watched against against uh, Wales. It's just a, they're a tough team to watch right now. They're not necessarily that fun to watch. We do this very boring 
uh, type of play where we try to hold possession for as long as we can and um, let the the players around the ball kind of create the opportunities. And if the opportunity isn't there or they don't see it, then they wait even longer with possession of the ball. They pass it around the back and wait for those opportunities to create themselves. And it, it makes for a boring watch sometimes. And that second half was it was that it was very dull for the Americans on the on the uh, on the offensive side, and uh, it led to a draw, unfortunately. So, yeah, that was uh, that was the first game. You know, hopefully it's only straight up from there. Uh, if it gets any worse, then you know. We're going to be feeling pretty bad. But I, I don't expect uh, us to beat England in any shape or form. But I will be cheering along them. Have the face double-painted? Not really. I mean, I'll be cheering them on, though. I'll be If they score a goal, everybody on my street will know that the U.S. scored a goal because I will be super hyped. If we're leading in that game or something like that, I will be stressing out, but in a good way. So that's, that's the first game. That's a quick wrap-up of that game. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. That's a very long intro to... The Weekend Sports Ramp Podcast. I'm your host, James Timberlake. Uh, this week, we got a lot of things going on from this last weekend. And then, this is what we'll start with, okay? we got a lot of things that were going on, obviously. The NFL, we'll talk about that. Some college football stuff that was going on. We'll talk about a, lo- a couple other things in the World Cup. Uh, but first, let's just start with this. This is very possibly the week that we're, about, we're running into, this Thanksgiving week. Happy Thanksgiving, by the way. This week that we're running into could very possibly be the greatest, the single greatest week in sports history ever. We got the World Cup going on, obviously. We're going to have college basketball tournaments galore. We got the Maui Invitational going on right now. The Battle for Atlantis is going to start this week. The Phil Knight Invitational is also going on this week for college basketball and both men's and women's as well. So crazy college basketball games, lots of fun college basketball tournaments going on around the country uh, right now, uh, starting this week. We have Thanksgiving football, obviously, starting on Thursday. Bills versus Lions. Who knows about that game? Bills are kind of shaky a little bit. They started. They looked a little bit better in the second half. But I will say, first half was a little bit shaky. But we'll see. I mean, the Lions they aren't good. Uh, New York Giants versus the Dallas Cowboys. Giants maybe maybe a little bit of frauds. We'll see. Cowboys look very good. We'll talk about that obviously in a second. Um, and then the Patriots versus the Vikings. I can't believe they put this game as the last one. This is the one that I would want. I mean, maybe they did that strategically. I'm trying to think of what I'm doing at about 6.20 p.m. on Thanksgiving. I don't know if anybody here is uh, a Thanksgiving lunch or, you know, Thanksgiving lunch or Thanksgiving dinner. I guess it kind of depends. I'm like a, our family is like right in the middle. You know, we'll eat at like 3 p.m. and then we'll go back for seconds towards the end of the evening, you know. But by 6.20 p.m., I think a lot of people are kind of getting that, that, that still in the midst of that post-Thanksgiving meal nap. Or they're sitting at the table about to eat. So maybe they are kind of hiding this game towards the end because this is not a great game. I mean, the Vikings should win this game, but we did just see how disastrous of a game that was against the Cowboys and the Patriots. Even more of a disastrous game, even though they won against the Jets on Sunday. So I have no idea, um, you know, what to expect from that game. But who knows? I mean, Cowboys, Giants, hopefully should be a good game. And the Bills and the Lions should put up fireworks, to be honest. They should be, that should be an offensive output. Hopefully, that would be a fun thing to watch early in the morning. But anyways, the other things that are going on, that's Thanksgiving Day. Then we have, it's, it's rivalry week in college football as well. Come Saturday, we got Mississippi State and Ole Miss. That's on Thursday, I believe. That's the Egg Bowl that's going on on Thursday. Then Tulane, Cincinnati, NC State, North Carolina, Florida, Florida State, Oregon, Oregon State, Notre Dame, USC, uh, Auburn, Alabama, South Carolina, and Clemson. And then, of course, the big game on Saturday as well. 
Michigan at Ohio State, basically for a college football playoff spot. The winner of this game will go on to play in the Big Ten championship game, and essentially, depending on what happens in the Big Ten championship game, but the other side of that, the the, the other side of the conference is kind of, I mean, it's kind of garbage. I'll be honest with you. I think the best team is Illinois, which is, you know. That's good news for Wyoming fans, obviously, because, I mean, that that game against Illinois at the beginning of the season looks less and less like a fluke every day uh, or every week. But I, I think whoever wins this game will more than likely win the Big Ten championship. I don't want to eat my words. Illinois did just play Michigan pretty well, so we'll see. But, you know, regardless, I think both of those teams were kind of they, they kind of struggled this week. And I think they were both kind of looking ahead to to uh, the big game, the game, if you will, between uh, Michigan and Ohio State. So we'll see uh, the winner of those games. Like, like I said, in that game, there's more than likely going to have a college football playoff spot, and the other will be fighting to get in, uh, essentially just like last year. And we got a a classic game last year between Michigan and Ohio State. So, uh, yeah, essentially, we're, we're lined up for one of the greatest weeks in the history of sports with the amount of good games that we got going on. Thanksgiving, of course. Uh, Thanksgiving football, of course. It's going to be incredible. And then we got Black Friday, U.S. versus England as well. So, it's loaded. It's one of the best sports weeks I can remember um, ever happening. And it, I mean, it helps that the World Cup is going on in the middle of winter. Uh, that's not normally what goes on, but that helps also the uh, the cause of the greatest sports week of all time. So we'll see what happens. I, it's going to be fun. We're going to be sleeping a lot of turkey off, and there's going to be a lot of sports that we're going to be able to watch in the background of that going on. So get excited, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to be a big week. It's going to be a big week in sports okay let's wrap up really quickly with the world cup something else big time happened uh today today's tuesday the game was at 3 a.m our time so would have been tuesday early tuesday morning uh saudi arabia they took on argentina a game that was heavily favored in argentina's way i think if i remember right the argentinians were 125 to 1 at halftime after argentina took up a uh, took a one nothing lead. I think they were 21, 20 to one favorites. Um, Argentina was 21, 22 one favorites uh, at the start of the game. So before the game even started, uh, Saudi Arabia was 20, 20 to one underdogs in this game. Then Argentina scored in the first half and it went up to one hundred and twenty five to one uh, underdogs. And then guess what? Saudi Arabia comes back and wins the game two to one. Arguably the biggest upset. I it's hard to really fathom or put into perspective an upset like this, but imagine it this way. It's essentially a 16 to 1 upset in like a college basketball bracket. Never happens. It's probably the worst loss in Argentina Argentina's entire international soccer history. They were the one of the favorites to win this World Cup. There were a lot of people uh, picking them to win this World Cup. They thought it was this year. This was the year of destiny for Lionel Messi. This doesn't necessarily doom them. This doesn't mean they're out by any means, obviously, but uh, this is that's a tough loss, and they're not necessarily in a very difficult group either. They have Poland and Mexico as well. Um, neither one of those teams really showed that much uh, you know, to be worried about for Argentina, but those teams, uh, they, they drew against one another 0-0 in their game today. So uh, Argentina still has a way out, obviously, if they can beat Poland, if they can beat Mexico, which they should beat both of those teams, they can get out of their group. But Saudi Arabia already, I mean, already has the win of the tournament, no matter what happens from here on out. Uh, they just won the tournament with the, with the win they got against Argentina, uh, one of the biggest upsets in the history of World Cup soccer, and it's hard to kind of put into perspective. And nobody here in the United States saw it at all because it was at 3 a.m. our time. So, 
you know, <laughs> uh, you know, I, it kind of sucks because, but what are you going to do? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not saying up till 3 a.m. because, you know, it's Argentina, Saudi Arabia. You look at it on the, on the, on the calendar. You're like, okay, Argentina is going to, is going to bash Saudi Arabia. I remember waking up this morning and looking at my phone and seeing the breaking news alert that Argentina lost to Saudi Arabia. And I was like, uh, what? I thought it was a typo. I was like, uh, sorry, excuse me. Huh? How that happened? And uh, yeah, Saudi Arabia did it. They they won with a lot of uh, good offside trap defense sort of things. Uh, they they really pushed Argentina into trying to make them play a little bit more conservative because of how many offsides they were drawing uh, on the offensive side of the ball, and it worked in Arge- in uh, Saudi Arabia's favor, and they were able to pull out the win. And they, I, I will say, it's not like they were getting rinky dink goals or anything like that. They didn't get lucky. They Pretty much, I mean, they they were down at the half, but they were, I mean, they were very much competing with Saudi Arabia in that in that, or with excuse me, with uh, Argentina in that game all the way through, all the way to the end. They were uh, sitting tight with Argentina pretty much the whole game, and they were able to get out ahead in the second half, and they really didn't look back. Argentina after that second goal had, I mean, it felt like they didn't really have a shot because of how good defensively Argent or uh, sorry, I keep mixing up their names. Saudi Arabia was playing on defense, so. It was incredible. Uh, Saudi Arabia deserved it 100%. Um, and it was, a, it was a great game. It was a great game. It was a great game. I, I was stunned when I woke up and saw that. Leo Messi, man. I mean, he is definitely one of the greatest soccer players of all time. I do not doubt that whatsoever. But man, his struggles on the world stage when it comes to playing with Argentina. He won the Copa America, I think is what it was. I think it was the Copa America earlier this year. Um, or I guess it was a year ago earlier this year, something like that. And uh, that was a big win for him because that was like the first major tournament he has won with Argentina since he's been playing with them. Uh, he, this is the best team he's ever had at Argentina. He's ever he's ever been able to play with at Argentina. Uh, so they should be performing a lot better. That is a very bad loss, though. If that ends up costing them the chance to go on from the group stage, that is going to, in my opinion, affect his legacy greatly. That is one of the worst losses uh, in the history of World Cup soccer, in international soccer history, you name it. I mean, it's it's a terrible terrible loss and it's a bad look on on uh, Messi's legacy as well just because this is the best team best team he's supposed to have ever that he's supposed to have since he's been there um and for them to lose a game against a Saudi Arabia team that a lot of people had no shot thought that that had no shot in this tournament they they were going to get dominated uh in the group stage and just get kicked out very easily uh for for them to lose that game is a is a very big I think brash, uh, uh, brashing on um, on Messi's legacy, unfortunately, but it, it could all change. I mean, if Messi, if Messi and Argentina go on to win the World Cup, get out of the group stage, win the World Cup, then nobody will remember that. I mean, really. Um, so we'll see. Uh, it was just very surprising to see uh, Argentina. They just do it again. I mean, it comes to the World Cup. They they hadn't lost. This isn't a joke. That Argentina team in World Cup qualifying had not lost since 2019. They were one of the hottest teams coming into the tournament. They were in great form, and uh, they had not lost since 2019. And to lose to that team uh, does not spell uh, good news for Argentina or the Argentinian fans. So we'll see what happens. Um, Argentina and Leo Messi need to move on if Leo Messi wants to be remembered as the greatest player of all time. Well, the greatest players of all time, they've all been able to do it internationally, no matter what. The Spaniards, you know, the French have been able to do it, obviously. Uh, Ar- uh, Diego Maradona, his, one of his own countrymen back in the late 80s or 70s and 80s, if I remember correctly. Sorry if I'm getting that wrong. Uh, he was able to do it with those teams uh, in Argentina win World Cups with those teams, and Leo Messi has not been able to do it. He's the only one, uh, really the only one of those greats that have not been able to get over uh, that hump and 
for him to go out in the first game and lose to a team like that, it's uh, it can smell disaster for Messi. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I, I I like Messi. I do think he's clearly one of the great players of all time. But for whatever reason, when he gets into international play, something just changes, or whatever the tactic is, or whatever just changes for whatever reason. When we get into these tournaments, now it changed a little bit with Copa America, obviously when they won that tournament. But um, I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm re- I'm nervous for Argentina because that would be that would be. The biggest disappointment probably in the history of Argentinian soccer if they weren't able to get out of the group stage with the group uh, that they have at their disposal to easily be able to win, I would think. So we'll see. Uh, all right, let's move on. It's uh, Let's move on. Let's talk about college football, college, college American football. How about that? Let's just start with this. I'm, I'm going to set up a scenario for you, okay? We have our college football playoff coming up, or the rankings coming up Tuesday night. I'm recording this Tuesday afternoon, so they'll be out after uh, after I record this. But let's just create this scenario for you. Uh, USC, they play Notre Dame this weekend. They're the seventh best team according to the college football rankings from last week. And I think as a lot of people would see it right now, if they were to win out, win their conference, win the Pac-12. I think they're probably the the last team that would get in. Obviously, Ohio State, Michigan, they're 2-3. and three. One of those teams is going to lose. Obviously, they play, this, they play each other this weekend. One of those teams is going to lose and then miss out on the conference championship. And uh, we'll, we'll see how this all shakes out, but I'm just giving you, I'm giving you a scenario, okay? Tennessee, they just lost. They're the fifth-ranked team. They're going to be, they're going to drop down. They have two losses now. LSU, they're taking on Georgia. They beat Alabama earlier this year. They're eight and two. They're taking on Georgia in the SEC title game. That's probably a loss. I'll be on. I mean, Georgia is not as dominant, I would say, as last year. Uh, but I don't think LSU can compete with as good as Georgia is right now. So we'll we'll chalk that up for a loss. I'm just creating this scenario. I don't think this is how it's going to go. I hope this isn't going to how it's go. I have an end, I have a conclusion here. Okay, towards the end, I will have a conclusion. Uh, TCU, they play in the Big 12 Championship uh, coming up here pretty soon. I, st- I think they still have one more game left in their regular season. I don't know who it is off the top of my head. But they've been escaping all year. They just had a game where they basically sprinted their field goal unit off or onto the field in the fourth quarter as time was ticking down and uh, basically kicked a walk-off field goal as the clock was still running to win a game. If they lose that game, then, I mean, they drop down, I would say, significantly in the rankings because of how close a lot of their matchups have been. So let's say they lose the Big 12 title game. So now you have uh, two openings. Whoever the winner of the Big 10 is between Ohio State and Michigan uh, after they win the big game or the the game between the two uh, at some point. So now, essentially, you have two openings. Right now, as it stands, you're looking at the college football playoff rankings. Tennessee, this is from last week, obviously. They're down. They're not going to make it. USC will say they win the Pac-12. Sure. They win the Pac-12. They'll be the third team in there, fourth team in there, whatever. Uh, Clemson will say they win the SEC or the ACC or uh, they they lose against South Carolina. South Carolina's coming off a very big win against Tennessee. They're the team that beat Tennessee and dominated in that game. They looked unstoppable in that game. Uh they, let's say they beat Clemson or whatever. Let's say Clemson wins that game, even if they do. Uh, but, you know, just for fun. Let's say actually they lose that game. Let's say they lose that game against South Carolina. They go in and win the ACC championship. Guess who would get the, in my opinion, who would get the fourth spot in that scenario? Fourth spot in that scenario. So right now, Georgia, Ohio State, or Michigan interchange the two for the second spot in those rankings. Uh, three, USC, sure, if they went out. And then four, in this scenario, guess who I think would get the fourth spot in that scenario? 
Alabama. They're going to do it again. Ladies and gentlemen, just when we thought they were gone, okay, LSU beats them. They lose to Tennessee earlier in this year, and we think Alabama is finally gone. Now, this is a very, this is far fetched at this point, okay? Obviously, uh, if Clemson ends up winning the ACC, I think they're probably the last team in. If USC ends up winning the Pac-12, I think they're probably the last team in. But another scenario, if USC loses this game against Notre Dame, they go into the Pac-12 championship at 9-2. and They win the Pac-12 championship, they're 10-2, and and now you have Alabama, let's say they went out. Clemson, they lost their game against uh, South Carolina, uh, and then they go into the ACC championship game, and they win that game. So we have Clemson, USC, and Alabama all at 9-2 and on the season, and everything else plays out the way I was talking about. So TCU loses the Big 12 championship, uh, and then uh, you know Tennessee's gone, LSU loses to Georgia as well. Who do you put in in that scenario? Uh, TCU, who I would argue still probably has a worse resume than Alabama, uh, or, I mean, Alabama probably. USC, no. I think TCU and USC's uh, uh, resume are probably pretty equal. Uh, Clemson, ACC is kind of a walk in the park, to be honest with you, so I don't know if they have a better resume. But Alabama has a resume. They they would essentially have two top five losses this year uh, in Tennessee and LSU at this point. So, you know, or top 10 losses at the very least at this point. So. I really, I they really, they can't do it, but I could totally see a scenario where TCU, uh, a one-loss TCU team, if they lose the Big 12 championship, is going up against an Alabama team that didn't make the championship, the college, the uh, their conference championship. I can see the argument being made right now in that weird boardroom that they, that the college football playoff committee meets in, in like that weird Holiday Inn, uh, Radisson college football playoff conference room that they have all the TV screens. I talked about this a couple weeks ago, but they have all the TV screens set up and everything. I can absolutely see the scenario in which Alabama somehow, some way finds a way to just sneak in once again over a one loss TCU team that loses in the big 12 championship game. I can see it. I don't, I don't think it's going to happen that way, but I can absolutely see the arguments being made in in that in that boardroom or that conference room or whatever in that conference room uh, during that next Tuesday or Tuesday after next or whatever it is, um, trying to sneak trying to sneak Alabama back into the college football playoff. I can see it now. I can totally see it. It's gonna make me upset. I oh man, they can't keep getting away with this. I mean, they can't. They're eighth. In the country, I'm making this situation up in my head. This probably won't play out the way I'm thinking. I mean, USC, they got to play Notre Dame. They should win that game. If they win that game, go on and win the Pac-12 championship. They should probably get their ticket punched into the college football playoff, I would imagine. Uh, If they lose that game, Clemson probably has a pretty clear path uh, from then on out to make it to the college football playoff game if they win out as well. TCU, if they win out, obviously undefeated, Big 12 champion. You can't leave TCU out in that scenario. But Ohio State and Michigan, they're going to beat one another uh, if Whoever wins that game uh, probably is going to win the Big Ten Championship. So you got three locks in there if, if everything plays out as chalk, pretty much. Um, if it all plays out as chalk, TCU should get in, Georgia get in, Ohio State or Michigan, whoever wins that game and win the Big Ten Championship should get in. Granted, uh, another interesting scenario, if you have Ohio State-Michigan, if that's a close game and... Uh, Ohio State or whoever wins that game goes on to win the Big Ten Championship. But the game, the game between Ohio State and Michigan, if that's a close game and whatever team loses, do you just slot them in at four as the fourth best team in the country because it was so close or something and still leave out a USC team? I think that's an interesting argument to be made as well. Even if USC wins their conference, I think there is an argument to be made 
that Michigan or Ohio State with their only loss coming to one another, um, it's inevitable in that situation. I think if they're in that situation where one their only loss is coming to one another, I think you can make the argument for one of them being the fourth best team as well. I, I don't think that's out of the equation either. So I, I don't know. USC is in a tough spot, honestly, because nobody, I mean, the Pac-12 is kind of, it's not a, it's not a joke. I don't want to make it seem too derogatory, but it's also in the the unfortunate situation where most of the people that I think are really diehard college football people are on the East Coast or in you know the Southeast or something like that or you know Southeast the East Coast that sort of thing and not a lot of people are staying up that late at night uh, watching USC football on the West Coast so they're in an unfortunate situation and that's going to change when they move to Big Ten I don't know how much it's going to change because you're still going to have those issues with USC uh, because they're still going to be on the West Coast starting maybe a little earlier or later than you would like um, but we'll see I, I really don't know I think USC is in kind of a tough position but if all that plays out the way I kind of lined it out earlier. I, Alabama can find a way to sneak in. I mean, they really can. They would just be, just be so annoying. I here's the thing: we just need TCU to win. TCU, please just win out. TCU, just win out. If TCU can do that, then no problem. Whatever they're in, uh, I think if if USC wins out and Clem, here's the thing: if you if you're a hater of Alabama, I'm not necessarily a hater. I'm just tired of seeing. I want to see at least one college football playoff without them in it. That's all I want. So. We just need, if you're one of those people, just root for USC winning out, uh, Clemson losing out, and TCU winning, or not losing out, excuse me, Clemson winning out, and then TCU winning out as well. If all those teams win out, Alabama has no shot because, you know, they're a two-loss team against uh, three one-loss teams, potentially an undefeated team. There's no way they get in if that's the scenario with uh, championships as well, conference championships as well. They're not, Alabama's not competing for a conference championship at this point. So all those teams would end up winning conference championships and Alabama would have no shot of getting in whatsoever. So that's what you're rooting for. If you're, if you're an Alabama hater, that's what you're rooting for. TCU, you want to win. USC, you want them to win. And Clemson, you want them to win. If you're an absolute chaos fan, you want Notre Dame to win this weekend. You want South Carolina to win this weekend against Clemson. And you want TCU to somehow lose against Iowa State and then in the Big 12 championship game to make them a two-loss team as well. That would be pure chaos. I mean, honestly, I'd be okay with either one just because I'd want, I want that, I want that bit of pressure to be on the college football playoff committee. I want them to feel that. You know, I want them, I want them to make the very difficult decision of putting in <laughs> somehow an Alabama team that didn't win their conference as the fourth best team in the country over a USC team that has the same number of losses but did win their conference or a Clemson team that uh, lost to this weekend but still somehow that still won their conference as well. That's I want to see them try and make that decision or even even the decision between Clemson and USC. Who do you put it in that scenario? That would be very difficult. Uh, Clemson or USC. If USC loses to Notre Dame, Clemson loses to South Carolina, but they both win conference championships and are both uh, ten and two at the end of the year or nine and two at the end of the season. How do you make that decision? Or ten and two at the end of the season? How do you make that decision as the college football playoff committee? Who goes in there? That would be a very interesting conversation to have. If it were me, I would probably put USC in there. They've been a much more dominant team, especially on offense. Defense is definitely more shaky than Clemson's defense, but Clemson's offense has been. I mean, they're two opposite sides of the spectrum, really. Their Clemson's defense is a mirror of uh, USC's offense, a, a mirror reflection. Their defense is very, very solid. Their offense is not very good, whereas USC's offense is very, very good. Their defense is not good at all. So 
I really think more people would want to see USC in as the fourth best team, even though I think they'd probably get rolled by Georgia. Um, but just because it'd be more fun of a game to watch than Georgia Clemson, and the game would be like 17 to 14 at the end of the. Remember, they had their college football kickoff game. I think that was a year ago or something like that, and the final score was. I think it was like 10 to 3 or something ridiculous like that or 13 to 3 and the only touchdown was scored on defense I think or something like that. So I don't think they want that in the college football playoff. That would be less than stellar uh for the college football playoff to have that as their uh, shining one versus four game. So I don't know, we'll see. I, there's a lot of scenario. This is the great thing about college football. There's so many scenarios that can just play out that would be absolute chaos and destructive towards towards college football and that's what makes it fun. That's what makes it fun to watch. So that's what I want to talk about college football. Another quick thing, uh, not quick. Let, let's talk about UW a little bit. Um, they had it, man. They really, they had it. I was watching that game. Uh, they were getting completely dominated, really, honestly, uh, throughout that game. Offensively, they were getting dominated. I think the only thing that they did well was run the football. Surprise, surprise. Uh, Andrew Peasley did end up going out very early in that game because of a head injury. So that obviously caused their their passing game to come to a complete grinding halt. Obviously. Um, but the run game played pretty well. Titus Swin had a pretty decent game. Um, but man, I, they didn't really deserve to be in that game as much as they were. The defense actually played relatively well when they absolutely needed to. They got an incredible. I was stunned when they got that turnover in the fourth quarter. I thought there was no. I thought they were. I thought it was over. I thought Boise State was going to get the first down and then run a couple more plays and then kind of kneel it out to end the game. Uh, and then. Boise State running back fumbles it. I think it was a lineman or a linebacker. I can't remember off the top of my head. Picks up the ball for the Cowboys and runs it all the way down to essentially the Boise State 30. And I was like, they're going to pull this off. They're actually going to pull this off. They're going to be playing in a Mountain West Conference championship game, and they're going to do it. The Boise State curse, if you will, that's kind of haunted them for so long. Somebody, the team that's kind of dominated the Mountain Division for so long. They were finally going to do it. And then just in peak University of Wyoming college football, with the ball on the Boise State 21, down by three, they can kick a field goal, be happy with that, or run the ball all the way down. You know, They were effectively running the football for a decent amount of time this game. They did not have possession for a lot of the game, but when they were running the football, they were getting a decent amount of yardage out of it. I think they were averaging like 8.7 yards per carry or something ridiculous like that. But for whatever reason... They decided, and I can't imagine this is what Craig Bull wanted or uh, the offensive coordinator for the Cowboys wanted in this situation. Um, they called the pass play. Jaden Clemens, up to this point, had 30 pass yards. He was 3 for 15 on the game. 3 for 15 with 30 passing yards on the game. And they decide to call the pass play. And I, I, can't, I like I said, I cannot imagine this is what the offensive coordinator for uh, Wyoming or Craig Bull wanted in this scenario. I, I can't imagine uh, Jaden Clemens steps back the 21 yard line of Boise State, hucks one into the end zone to his wide receiver who is as double covered as he can be and uh, gets picked off in the end zone. And Boise State wins. Just you know, that, it was peak. It was peak Wyoming Cowboy football. The 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 situation where they get into it, where they don't necessarily have to pass the ball. They can play for the field goal there, try to get into overtime, and just kind of beat Boise State. And essentially their own game, in the game that they want to play. I mean, you know, once it gets closer to the end zone, it kind of favors a little bit more uh, Wyoming because they can run the ball better than a lot of people in the in the country. But I was just I was stunned with the call. Uh, They decide to throw it. Who with the quarterback that only thrown 15 passes and completed three of them all game long for 30 yards. He'd already thrown two interceptions, uh, and they decide to call the pass. He throws the pass and it gets picked off for a loss. I just. 
It didn't make any sense to me. It still doesn't make any sense to me now. Just play for the field goal at that point. Look, you don't have your quarterback goes out early in that game. You're playing with a backup quarterback in that situation. Just play with your strength, which is running the football in that scenario, and play for the field goal. Hope to get lucky in overtime, essentially. Like I said, Boise State was dominating in that game. I mean, they should have won that game a lot better. You know, they should have won that game before the, the it was essentially fumbled away uh, for Boise State in that in that last drive that they had. Um, but you know, just if you're the Cowboys, you're on the 21 yard line of Boise State. Just run the ball for play for a field goal at that point. You're playing. You have to kind of get lucky. And again, you know, in a lot of other scenarios, you'll see teams go for two in that situation if they had scored or something. You know, try to get ballsy when you don't have, you know, when you don't have the better team, if that makes sense from a talent standpoint. But in that scenario, when you, you don't have the better team overall, but especially when you don't have your starting quarterback in like that, it d- just take the field goal. I mean, they've given you points in that situation. 20 on the 21 of Boise State, they have handed you the points to get into overtime and get lucky enough, and basically the momentum of the game, to kick the field goal and then go into overtime with all the momentum at home. I just could not believe that that is what they called. Uh, and, and what ended up happening was, I think, what a lot of people thought would probably happen. I mean, three for 16, uh, two interceptions. That's uh, that's not a good game for Jaden Clemens. And, you know, I, I don't want to criticize him too much. He's the backup quarterback. I understand that. There's a reason he's not starting. Um, but, you know, I, it's just... It was disappointing. I was like, man, they're actually going to do it. They're going to get, they're going to beat Boise State. They're going to get the monkey off their back of Boise State and finally get into a uh, conference championship game. Would have been taking on Fresno State in Las Vegas. Basically, two Fresno State games back to back if they would have won that game. Fresno State in week uh, 13 and then into the conference championship game. They would have played Fresno State as well. So you would have had two cracks at it. And, uh, but lo and behold, I mean, it didn't happen. Here we are. So, uh, we'll see what happens with Wyoming. I'd be surprised. I would be surprised. Fresno State basically already has, or not basically, I mean, they're already punched their ticket to uh, the Mountain West Conference Championship. So, you know, that's not going to change whatsoever. So I would be surprised if Fresno State comes out with their full team. I would maybe see, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw uh, Fresno State starters play for maybe, you know, play for a half or something like that, and then they pull them, or, you know, even a quarter or something like that, and then they and then Fresno State pulls them. So Wyoming should probably win this next game uh, because it, it really doesn't mean anything for either team at this point, to be honest, in terms of, you know, the grand scheme of things, the grand scale. Um, but, you know, Fresno State should win that, or excuse me, the Cowboys should win that game if Fresno State's going to end up just resting people, which I would kind of expect because the much bigger game for Fresno State is the week to follow when they take on Boise State in the conference championship game. So that's college football. That's uh, that's Wyoming football from this past weekend. I was I was uh, I was sad for them. They're not necessarily they're not my favorite team, you know, by proximity. Of course, I mean I'll root for them. Uh, but I was very disappointed uh, with. Um, I mean, they played their hearts out. They really did. I mean, they were they were getting beat up pretty bad, to be honest with you, on offense uh, or on both sides of the ball, really. Uh, other than the run game was pretty effective. Um, but you know, they were still keeping Boise State in the game. The defense was getting stops when they absolutely needed to. Forced a couple of important turnovers, obviously. Um, but the offense just they couldn't bring it home, and that's kind of been the story for the Cowboys for a long time. The defense has been exceptional. The offense just can't really pull its weight all that much uh, enough to bring the game home for uh, for the Cowboys. But also, I mean, nobody's beating themselves up more than probably the people in that locker room after the game. So I, I don't want to make that an excuse, obviously. I am kind of, you know, I'm kind of, I'm not tearing into them. But yeah, it was, just, it was disappointing to see how that ended. Um, 
But 7-4, and four, still a pretty solid season for the Cowboys, honestly. To see how it started against that game against Illinois, everybody got a little bit nervous. We were kind of scared. Uh, overtime against Tulsa, they were kind of keeping it close against uh, Colorado Christian, if I remember correctly, and that FCS game, and people were kind of nervous. But the way they turned it around through halfway through the season, was uh, it, it's been it's been good for the Cowboys. It's been, a very, I'd say, overall a pretty successful season for the Cowboys, uh, especially with what they lost coming into the season from the transfer portal and so on and so forth. So, you know... We'll see what they do next week. Um, Fresno State, again, I would imagine they're probably going to rest a decent amount of their players just getting ready for the conference game, uh, the conference championship game. So we'll see. I really, I, I haven't heard a whole lot about it yet. I haven't seen the line yet, but it's probably going to shift as the week goes on a lot more. Um, so we'll see what happens. Let's, we'll see what happens. Hopefully they can end the season, the regular season, on a win. They're going to a bowl game, obviously. They're bowl eligible. We'll see what that, that, uh, that bowl game they're selected in is. A little bit later on, and then they'll get one more game on the season as well. So we'll see where the we'll see where the uh, the Cowboys end up. But that's college football. Um, let's move on. It's NFL time. Let's talk some NFL. We had a couple of a uh, couple of good games, couple of bad games. There's another. I think it was a pretty typical week. The early the early morning games were uh, a little bit more entertaining, I would say, than the. Uh, uh, that's not necessarily true. I, I basically have one game on my mind right now, unfortunately, and you guys probably know at this point which one that is. Um, but I would say there were a couple, I mean, there were bad games on both, on all of the, all of all the sections of the football schedule this week. Uh, let's start with the one, the only, the probably the, I would argue probably the worst game of the year. If honestly, uh, the Patriots against the Jets, that was a abysmal game to watch. I apologize for anybody that's either Jets fans or Patriots fans that you had to watch that all the way through. If you're a fan of either of those teams, it's crazy. The juxtaposition for the Patriots I can't imagine what a Patriots fan... I mean, you know, it doesn't really matter because, you know, you've had all the winning in the world. You're getting a little bit more back to earth of what the rest of the NFL kind of feels like. This is pretty bad, to be honest with you, but it's still kind of... I mean, every NFL franchise at some point kind of goes through a rebuilding phase. The offense is pretty bad, but, you know, every NFL franchise goes through it, and the Patriots are finally kind of feels like they're going through it. But they've had so much winning over the past 20 years that, you know, it feels more like it's about time, you know, more so than I kind of feel bad for them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that was a woof, abysmal game. It was 10-3. Thir- to three. The game-winning play was a punt return by a uh, punt return by Marcus Jones in the end um, from the Jets that, I can't believe they kick it to Marcus Jones in that situation. Marcus Jones, a very, very good punt returner for Houston uh, in the last few years. He's a rookie this season, if I remember correctly, and he was a punt returner for the Houston Cougars for a long time. I think he had nine uh, punt returns for touchdowns uh, in uh, in college at, with Houston. And how was that not on your scouting report in that situation if you're the Jets? Do not kick it to Hunter jo- or Marcus Jones. Excuse me. Do not kick it. To Marcus Jones, it felt like it felt like that uh, the miracle of the metal ends all over again, where you're screaming at the punter for the Giants to not kick it to Deshaun Jackson. Lo and behold, kicks it, kicks it to Deshaun Jackson. That one's more of a walk off, but this one essentially was a walk off, especially with how bad the Jets' offense was playing in that situation. There, it felt like there was no way they were going to go down the field and you know score to tie the game in that situation. It felt like it was a wrap after that touchdown. Um, and it was, I mean, it was over. It was 10 to three was the final score. Special teams are the only ones with any points in this game. And, uh, yeah, it was bad. If you're Zach, I mean, and the other, the other thing that kind of came out of this for the jets, Zach Wilson, man, in that post game press conference where he says the, the reporter asks him, uh, do you feel any sort of, uh, 
feeling that you let the the defense down or anything like that. It's an immediate no from Zach Wilson. Are you kidding me, Zach Wilson? Literally any other backup quarterback in the league right now, I can I think I'm pretty confident saying this. I think almost any other backup quarterback in the league right now wins that game. I'm pretty the backup quarterback on the Jets wins that game. I don't think Zach Wilson should be starting for that team now. That team, I think, with, even with that press conference as well, after that, I think he pretty much just benched himself because that is such a bad response to that question. As the quarterback, you got to take responsibility in that scenario. Uh, even if you were good, I think you got to take responsibility in that scenario. But don't get it twisted. Zach Wilson was not good. He was truly dreadful in that game. Truly awful. Uh, there's no situation, in my opinion, where you don't. If you're if you're Robert Sala in that situation, come next week, I don't think there's any situation where you're starting Zach Wilson over Joe Flacco. There's just no way. Just Joe Flacco, at least at the very least. Now, gr- granted, Zach Wilson, he's coming off two weeks ago. He had a pretty decent game, but man, I mean, the leadership that he showed after the loss this week, it was just head scratching. I mean. You have expectation expectations now if you're Jets fans, which is also part of the problem because they want. I mean, they're winners. They're six and four on the season. They have one of the best defenses in the league, if not the best defense in the league. And there's expectations now that come with that. They're in a very tough division. If they were in any other division, there would be serious conversations. Other than in the uh, the NFC East, there would be serious conversations about them winning uh, winning the division and playing in a home game. Uh, but that's not the case. They're in a very tough division. Granted, uh, by the way, also Patriots quiet six and four. I cannot believe they're six and four in the season. Jets, I get it. Their defense it feels like a little bit better than the than the Patriots, but the Patriots somehow. I mean, their offense is is just as incompetent. Be honest uh, with the as the Jets is, but um, both teams six and four. Jets or the the Patriots a very quiet six and four. I must say. Um, but if you're if you're a Jets fan or Robert Sala in that situ- in this situation, I don't understand how you're not starting Joe Flacco. You should have named Joe Flacco on Monday, you know, as the next starting as the starting quarterback for the Jets uh, come this week and in the next game. So we'll see what the Jets do. Uh, but man, that's a disaster. I mean, you don't have a quarterback if you're the Jets. Don't get it twisted. If you're a Jets fan, you don't have a quarterback right now. You, you, you will be looking for a quarterback come uh, the next time you're, yeah, you, know, you might be trading up for a quarterback come this draft uh, just for, so you can get a Bryce Young or what have you. Uh, or something like that. I mean, you're not going to get Bryce Young, but even a, a better a better project than Zach Wilson because some of the stuff that he is doing on the field is just he he had a play early in that game against uh, a game against the Patriots where he had I can't remember who his receiver was, but he had him on a uh, on a uh, slot post route. His wide receiver just wide open. He was behind the safety. The safety was watching Zach Wilson's eyes, and his wide receiver had beaten the safety. He is wide open. And Zach Wilson, you can see it on the on the cam, the the end zone cam, looking towards the field. Uh, Zach Wilson is stepping back. He looks at this receiver dead in the eyes. He sees him. He sees him wide open. He looks at him, and he brings the ball down and he tucks it and runs it for like a two yard gain. And I think at that point, that's when I was kind of like, okay, I mean, Zach, it it's not it. This is not it. You can go look for that clip because it is abysmal. I if I'm if I'm the wide receiver in that situation, I am taking money out of Zach Wilson's paycheck because that should have been my touchdown and a bonus for a touchdown. That's how that should have been. And uh yeah, it was just as I mean, it sucks for the Jets because the Jets finally have expectations now, especially for the Jets fans as well. They finally have expectations. They have one of the best defenses in the league. I think one of the better coaches in Robert Sala in the league. Um he looks like he seems like he really gets the confidence of his team as well and he kind of gets his team uh 
and you know they got a guy like Zach Wilson in there who is just not taking any sort of responsibility for uh, his shortcomings. I would say the offense's shortcomings. Uh, I think if Brees Hall was still in there, they would at least be able to sort of mend that uh, that issue on the offensive side. But since he's gone, you're basically relying on Zach Wilson to do a lot of the job, and he is just he's not doing it. He's not doing it. I think you gotta I think you gotta try Flacco out. I, honestly, you have expectations now. It's not like you're trying to tank at this point. You have expectations. You can still potentially make a wild card game and play in a playoff game. I think you gotta try to play Flacco for as long as you can and see what you can get out of him. In my opinion, that's just. That's how I feel about that situation. All right, let's move on. Another game, uh, Falcons and the Bears. They they played as 27-24 Falcons. Good game. Uh, Bears offense kind of fell back down to earth a little bit. Uh, another a quick thing about this as well. Justin Fields. We talk, we've talked about this a little bit uh, in past episodes, but there is the way that he plays, it just cannot last. There, the way he, I mean, we saw it a little bit in that in that game against the Falcons where he, I mean, towards the end of the game, he was hurt. I mean, they were testing, they were checking on his shoulder and stuff like that. It looked like he had some sort of shoulder or collarbone injury or something like that at the end of the game, and it was affecting the way he was throwing the ball. Um, and just the way that he runs the ball cannot be sustainable. Same goes for Lamar Jackson, a lot of these athletic quarterbacks. We know that that model, as it stands right now, in a game that is so physical, so violent, cannot be sustained. If you're Justin Fields, if you're, I mean, Josh Allen kind of already has it, but if you're Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson also kind of has it. The, the, I think you have to become more reliant on your ability to pass more so than your ability to run the football, I guess. Granted, Lamar Jackson still loves to run the football. He's very good at it, um, but he's also very slippery. I mean, he doesn't take a lot of very hard hits very often. Uh, Josh Allen also, I would say, doesn't take a lot of hard hits either, but he is also just kind of seeking contact. He's not trying to avoid the hits in any way, if that makes sense, which is also very dangerous. Um, and I think if Justin, if you're Justin Fields, it's it's similar. I mean, you're kind of if you're the Bears, you are kind of buying into Justin Fields for his legs, but you don't want him so reliant on his legs that's gonna, that it's going to get him hurt because that's how you get the quicker careers in the NFL with those types of guys like Cam Newton. I mean, the guy was an MVP, and then just a few years later, he's lost a lot of that athleticism because of injury, and he's out of the league now. I mean, that's a, you know that we've kind of run into that issue a lot. Michael Vick, kind of the same thing. But Michael Vick, I would say Michael Vick maybe tuned his skill of passing the football a lot more towards the end of his career um, than whereas in the earlier part of his career, he really looked like uh, Justin Fields when he was running around um, a lot more often than he did towards the end of his career. He really tuned his craft more towards throwing the football than um, you know avoiding it and kind of seeking out running the football as well. So that's what, you know, he's good. Justin Fields, I think, is very solid. Uh, he's got a bad offensive line as well, obviously. Um, I think the skill guys could be a little bit better for the for the Bears as well. The defense has been less than seller as well, but it's kind of weird seeing a Bears defense that isn't very good. I've, been, I've gotten so used to seeing a Bears defense be very good, and we just don't have that right now. But that should get better. I mean, a lot of people kind of see the Bears, for whatever reason, as a destination to be going to for uh, if you're a defender you can go to the bears and become a good defender also i think it helps that they play outside in such a cold place i mean it's easy I, it's not easy to be a defender but i think it also i think the skill set that you have as a de- as a defender it leans towards uh better results playing at a place like soldier field than in a lot of different places if that makes sense same with like buffalo but you know we'll see anyways uh oh quick stat sorry i, I skipped over this quick stat of the day for you for the new york jets uh, I read somewhere that they had two yards in the second half. 
They averaged, I want to say, I think it was like one, like two inches per play or something like that in the second half uh, or throughout the whole game. I think it was three inches. More snow fell on the city of Buffalo than, than the Jets averaged per play in that game against the Patriots. That's a bad week. That's a bad week for the Jets. I feel for you, Jets fans. I mean, feels like even when it feels like it's getting better, they're going to snatch it away. We'll get to that, and we'll get to my feeling of that in a little bit. Uh, let's talk about, speaking of the Bills, we'll talk about the Bills a little bit. They moved. I thought they were about that life, man. I didn't think they were going to play in Buffalo, obviously, but come on. I mean, go somewhere cold. Go play somewhere cold. Go play in New England, okay? Be about that life if you're going to be about that life. Don't go to the Dome in Detroit, okay? Be about the life if you're going to be about the life. I get they probably did it because they're just going to be there and play Detroit in Thanksgiving. I mean, it just makes the road trip a lot easier. I'm kind of just being, I'm just kind of joking around. But it would have been cool if they were like, no, we don't want to play in Detroit. We're going to play in New England. A cold, cold New England this weekend and make the Browns go to New England to play in a cold weather environment. Now the Browns, I mean, they're used to it. But we're going to make the Browns travel to New England instead of Detroit to play in this cold weather because we're about that. We're the Bills, and we're about that life. Didn't happen, but you know, whatever. That would have been funny. That would have been cool to see the Bills do. That would have been. That would have been. You know, that would have been ultimate, ultimate swagger if they would have done that. Uh, okay, so yeah, Bills. They beat the Browns, nonetheless. Uh, they a little bit shaky in the first half. The Bills' offense was a little bit shaky in the first half. Played a lot better in the second. We saw uh, Doug McDermott talking to uh, Stephon Diggs in the first half. He wasn't, you know, Diggs was not happy with how the offense was running. Kind of fixed itself a little bit. Josh Allen was still, there's something, there's some maybe a little something going on with Josh Allen, I think. Uh, he's kind of toughing it out. I think he may have some sort of injury, uh, you know, in, a, in his throwing arm. He's been dealing with that. I don't remember if his elbow was in his throwing arm or his other arm. I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, but I think that, that, uh, that injury is causing him a little bit of trouble at, at this point in time. Um, just because some of the accuracy there in that first half was was uh, was not great. It looked like it was more of the same for Josh Allen and the Bills, unfortunately. But, I mean, he turned it around, and they looked a lot better in the second half. They did get up a, a couple garbage time points in the second half, but by that time, it was, it was over, so it didn't really matter. Uh, moving on really quick, another one. Ravens beat the Panthers. The Ravens, man. What happened to the Ravens? Especially their offense. Their offense has been... Just not good. I mean, they should have ran all over this Panthers team. We saw the the Bengals essentially run all over the Panthers in that game a few weeks ago. And this was, I mean, this was cut out for a Ravens team that loves to run the football. They should have dominated this Panthers team on the ground. And it just didn't happen. I mean, it looks like this Ravens, I mean, they're not getting any better as the season goes on, if that makes sense. You're getting you're getting the signs of a team that's kind of maybe fizzling out towards the end of the season. You don't want that, obviously, if you're Baltimore. They should sneak, They should win the playoff. They should probably, yeah, they're going to win their division more than likely. Um, we'll see what happens when Deshaun Watson comes back for the Browns, if they can maybe rattle off a pretty big win streak or something like that because Deshaun Watson's going to make that team a lot better if he's you know half the player he was in Houston. Um, but I, the, the Ravens, if they can you know keep playing, at the level, not necessarily at they are right now, but maybe you know four weeks ago or something like that, um, then I think they should win this division. But man, their defense is playing a lot better. Their offense has just regressed for whatever reason. This is that game. I mean, it was thirteen to three against against the Panthers. They should that should have been a team that they could run all over. Granted, they do have some injuries in the backfield with their running backs, but uh, yeah, I just thought they would have been. Even I, I, I always thought the Ravens is sort of a team that you can kind of just plug and play any running back into that system and they're going to make it work and they're going to score touchdowns and they're going to run for, you know, a thousand yards or whatever. Clearly that's not correct. I mean, that has not been the case. So 
Uh, we'll see if they can get it together. I think when they get J.K. Dobbins back, Gus Edwards gets back to full health, I think they'll be better. Um, but we'll see. I really, I mean, it's kind of tough to tell where the Ravens are going to be here in a few weeks. Um, but their defense, at the very least, looks like it is getting better. Um, really quick, another one. Uh, Eagles. The Eagles beat the Colts. Oh, my God. 17-16 to 16 was the final score of this one. Oh, my God. If Jeff Saturday would have gone into Indianapolis as a home head coach, taken on the Eagles, 9-1 Eagles, and beaten the Eagles in that game, the uproar. Can you imagine after everything that we got, me included, I, I was one of these people where I was like, why did why did you hire Jeff Saturday? Why is that the guy that you picked to do that role for this? I mean, there's plenty of other candidates that I think would have made more sense. I was that guy doing that as well. Bill Cowher was doing that. Uh, Joe Thomas was doing that. Everybody was doing that. Uh, I think a lot of people still are doing that. I think that first win that they had against the Raiders maybe quieted it down a little bit. Uh, but man, can you imagine if they if Jeff Saturday and the Colts would have found a way to beat the Eagles in this game? That would have been I could I cannot imagine what would have happened. And then God forbid he beats he beats the Eagles and then goes in next Monday. They play the Steelers and then beats Mike Tomlin. What does that say about the coaching profession? If Jeff Saturday can just slide in there. Just say, hey, you know what? Let's put Matt Ryan back in there because Sam Ellinger clearly is not the answer. Let's just put him back in there and see what happens. And he nearly goes, you know, goes and beats the Raiders, which granted, not a huge, not a huge success there. But the Eagles, if he goes in and beats the Eagles uh, with just putting Matt Ryan into the quarterback, is kind of the key that changes everything. What does it say about the coaching profession? More or less, what does it say about Frank Reich? What the hell was he doing? Like, well, I don't understand what he was thinking putting Sam Ellinger in there. I said this. I said this in the in the in the uh, podcast a few weeks ago. I thought they were the worst team in football with Sam Ellinger as their quarterback. They just had no, they were so linear on offense. They were boring to watch. I mean, they were just a bad team to watch. Uh, and they were just not good at all with Sam Ellinger at quarterback. And um, I mean, Matt Ryan, you know, it doesn't offer as much, I think, in terms of the run game as uh, as uh, Sam Ellinger offers. But clearly he offers more in the passing game. So, I mean, it just—it's not a good look for the coaches of the world, I think, or of the NFL right now, and of of, course, of the former coaches as well that were super angry, as well as the players that were super angry that Joe Thomas kind of just skipped the line, and he's kind of just—I—I I respect the hell out of Jeff Saturday for just kind of going in. And you know what? No expectations. I don't know if I'm going to be good at this. Whatever. Let's see what happens. And then almost beating the nine and one Eagles, one of the Super Bowl favorites in the in the NFL, just going in. Eh. You know, shrugging the shoulders and still almost beating the Eagles. That would have been absolutely absurd. I would have had to eat my words. I would have, I would have gave, if he would have gone in and beat the Eagles, I would have given him the Coach of the Year award right then and there. You know what? Fair enough. You get the Coach of the Year award. He made the Matt Ryan change, and all of a sudden there seemed like a team that I don't want to play. <laughs> it was, it's, uh, you know, what are you going to do? Jeff Saturday. Shout out Jeff Saturday. Uh, finally, let's talk really quick. I want to, I want to get, I mean, uh, let's just talk about the Vikings, okay? Cowboys, they beat the Vikings. Just truly, truly, just stomped the hell out of the Vikings. I mean, it, I was crying. Not really, but it was disappointing. I was very upset. I mean, here's the thing. I finally got hope, you know? I finally got the hope that I wanted. I, I saw They beat the Bills in a very fun game. Maybe got a little bit lucky, of course, but they got the interception that they needed at the end to beat the Bills. That wasn't necessarily luck. Fumble, of course, that got them into the overtime was more lucky, sure. But... I finally got the hope that I wanted. I was like, okay, if they can somewhat stick with this Bills team, then maybe we can beat anybody. I mean, we can beat anybody if we can stick with this Bills team. Lo and behold, Dallas comes in. I'm like, before the game, I'm a little bit nervous, obviously. I'm like, you know what? But we just beat the Bills, so it doesn't matter. We can beat anybody. 
And then, oh my God, I'm telling you, man, there is something to Kirk Cousins. He has to play at 11 a.m. If Kirk Cousins plays, the Super Bowl was at 11 a.m. on a Sunday. Kirk Cousins would would be a four time in a Super Bowl champion. The guy would be unstoppable. If every game that he played was at 11 a.m., he'd go he'd go 19 and 0 or whatever, 20 and 0 or whatever, and have a Super Bowl ring. I mean, the guy just there's something weird about the fact that he is so much better at like early in the morning or some late in the morning, I guess, rather than early in the afternoon. It's just so weird. That team was so much worse when they're not playing at 11 a.m. It's so odd. I, I really cannot accentuate how confusing it is to watch Kirk Cousins on an afternoon. Like, I really don't know who I'm going to get. It's a roll of the dice for Kirk Cousins. Granted, it wasn't necessarily all his fault. His offensive line was terrible on Sunday against the Cowboys. I mean, the Cowboys got whatever they wanted with that pass rush. Micah Parsons is one of the best athletes I've ever seen on the defensive end. If they just keep him at defensive end, if you have, if you're a team playing the Cowboys and you're at third and seven or longer, Micah Parsons, it feel like it feels like is always going to find a way to the quarterback. It's unbelievable. He is one of the best defensive end people, uh, prospects or whatever you want to call them, defensive end players that I've ever seen play the game of football. He's up there right now. Honestly, this is maybe an overreaction, but he's up there with. Lawrence Taylor, as somebody that you saw every time he was lined up on the outside, it felt like he was going to find his way to the quarterback no matter what. That's just kind of the feeling we're getting with uh, with Micah Parsons. It's incredible. He's so dominant. Granted, very early in his career, a lot can happen. But man, the the few the few weeks that we've, or you know, not the few weeks, but the few years we've had with him now, uh, basically the year and a half that we've had with Micah Parsons has been. It's been so insane to watch him play. If you don't get to watch, if you haven't watched Michael Parsons play, just watch him. Just watch him play. It is unreal what he can do on the outside as a defensive end, outside linebacker sort of combo thing that they have going in Dallas. It's truly unbelievable. Um, but yeah, Dallas was essentially able to do whatever they wanted against the Vikings offensively and defensively. Tony Pollard did whatever he wanted. Ezekiel Elliott came from the grave came back out and had a decent game. Dak Prescott had a very, very good game, very efficient game. It was so disappointing, man. I finally had the hope and the faith that I wanted in the Vikings. I was like, okay, we're 8-1. We just beat one of the best teams in the AFC. Uh, we can beat anybody. We can do it. I mean, it was it a little lucky? Sure. Sure, it was a little lucky. But you know what? We can do it. Why not? We just beat them anyways. Who says we can't get lucky? And then... Yeah, and then we saw that, and now I'm now I'm back down to earth. I'm like, okay, there's no chance. We're not beating most of the teams out of the NFC. This is the the epitome of a fan right here. You have that game, and you're like, okay, we're we're not. Let's tank. Let's get a let's get a good lottery pick. <laughs> let's get a good draft pick. No, I'm not. I'm not down that bad yet. But you know, you know, I don't think you know if we play the Cowboys in the in the playoffs, I don't think we're going to beat them or a lot of the teams in the NFC. The Eagles, no. Uh, even the, I mean, I'd rather play the Seahawks than I would the 49ers because I think the 49ers would dominate the Vikings in that scenario. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's still, I, I guess it's still technically a long way out. We'll see. Um, but yeah, my, my faith has been uh, unrestored, if you will, in the Vikings. So we'll see what they do the rest of the way. We'll see what they do on, on Turkey Day. Hopefully they can, if they can't beat the Patriots, man. We're ringing the alarm bells, and I'm I'm shutting down I'm shutting down the Vikings uh, the Vikings hope for until next season if they can't beat the Patriots. So we'll see what happens. Um, um, really quickly, let's talk about the Broncos. This will be our last topic. Broncos they fall to the Raiders in overtime. Um, that was a tough game for the Broncos, uh, as it has been all year. Again, another one of those games where it's like if the offense did an inkling of anything, if they did anything on the offensive side of the ball, man. This would be a good team. 
They can't do anything. They really cannot do anything. We saw Nathaniel. I mean, this is the problem, okay, with Nathaniel Hackett as, as head coach. Granted, progress, any progress is progress at this point. He handed the play calling ability or duties over to Clint Kubiak, uh, the who's the quarterbacks coach, as well as I think I mean he's officially the offensive coordinator, I think. But Nathaniel Hackett was the one calling plays up until this point. Um, but they hand, he handed the the play calling re- abilities over to Clint Kubiak, and Russell Wilson looked a little bit better. The ball was coming out of his hands a little bit better, a little bit quicker um, than it had been all year. So that was a reason for, I mean, progress, I guess, reason for hope, I guess. But, and then, you know, it still kind of falls apart. The defense, they played pretty solid, I would, I honestly, throughout the entire game until that very last overtime drive where they kind of just let Devonta Adams waltz into the unknown. That was, that was, they, they showed that look, that play earlier in the game with that shallow, weird, shallow cross, double cross concept with Devonte Adams uh, playing, essentially running a cross over the middle with another wide receiver under him running across as well. Uh, they showed that concept earlier in the game in the same formation, and Patrick Sertain kind of followed it well. But this time, he kind of bit on. He wanted to jump the route instead of you know playing it from behind. I think Patrick Sertain. This was the first time he was guarding him um, on, on this play, um, and. He tried to jump that route, but instead it was a double move for Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams kind of just breaks the hell out of uh, Patrick Sertain's ankles. He's wide, na- he's butt naked, wide open in the end zone, or close to the end, basically waltzes into the end zone uh, for the game winner. So, you know, it, it was just a you know over overconfidence for Patrick Sertain that kind of that kind of uh, that kind of hurt him in the end there in that overtime that overtime touchdown. But here's the thing. I don't want him to start playing conservative. He's a cornerback. If you're a cornerback playing conservative, you should not be playing that that position whatsoever. Granted, you can be you can be aggressive without getting pass interference calls and that sort of thing. But I don't want you play as a cornerback on my team if you're not going to be, you know, aggressive in those situations. He saw a look that he recognized. He tried to jump the route, and Derek Carr, Devontae Adams just kind of took advantage of that, and, and it ended up costing them. So that's the thing. I mean, Sertain, he feels terrible about it. I'm sure. But I don't want him in any scenario to think that he should not be doing that in that situation because it was it was the right idea. I mean, he was doing the right thing on that play. It was just that Derek Carr and, and Devontae Adams kind of assumed that he would be doing that, and they took advantage of it, and it worked out for him. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Broncos, I mean, they're a disaster. They really are. I mean, they're a mess, um, especially offensively. Their defense is great. Offensively, they're, they're a mess. They're a disaster. Uh, if we were a Broncos fan... Here's to next year at this point. I mean, there's really not a lot to be rooting for at this point. Essentially, the the Chiefs essentially won the AFC West this weekend uh, with the win against the Chargers. The Chargers are still probably the second, I mean, not probably, are the second best team in the AFC West. Um, and if Herbert keeps getting healthier, if that team gets getting healthier, then they're definitely going to be the best team, or the second best team in the AFC West behind the uh, behind the Chiefs. So we'll see what happens, but if you're the Broncos, if you're a Broncos fan, it's, it's time to start thinking about next year, I think, personally. Uh, as it was, it feels like probably two or three weeks ago, it's time to start thinking about next year as well. Uh, all right, that's going to wrap up the show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the soccer part at the very beginning. I really appreciate that. Uh, and thank you for tuning in. We're going to have we're gonna have reaction of the U.S. versus England game next week. Uh, on Friday this week, so we'll have reaction to it next Tuesday. And uh, yeah, more of the World Cup and stuff like that. And then football, of course, throughout the weekend. It's the best week in sports history potentially this weekend ladies and gentlemen so sit down get your turkey get your mashed potatoes get your leftover stuffing get your pie and get ready for a crazy weekend of sports and we'll talk all about it next week of course but for now i've been your host james timberlake and this has been the weekend sports wrap podcast